This is Movies, a podcast about the act of cinema, and I'm your host, Loris. With me tonight is Hans, and we are going to be talking about a landmark year for film. We're going to be listing off the 10 best films of 2020. Now, Hans does not have a 10 best films of 2020. It was that pathetic of a year. How many films do you have on your list, Hans? I have four best, and I... I, I what if I just complimented it with six of the worst that I, I saw. I think that's it. I can have 10. We got 10 and 10. Yes. All right. That, that works. I think. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it is, it is a very, uh, unimpressive year for movies. I can't think of anything specifically that shouted out to me as an excellent film. I'll revisit time and time again. That was released this year. I think there were some interesting movies made and almost none of them, were document uh, were were scripted. They were all documentaries. It was a great year for documentaries. A lot of documentaries this year. You know why? Because you don't really need the theatrical experience for a documentary. And you got all these companies that are hung up on the idea of big box office returns or manageable box office returns for their projects that they probably won't be getting ever. What percentage of your list are documentaries? It's very close to half, oh. I would say. Uh, I, I said it before on one of the earlier shows but we, I, I watched, I think, yeah, 49 films this year. 14 of those movies are documentaries. So maybe not half, but a, a significant number compared to usual. It eats up. Yeah, I didn't even think about adding documentaries to my list. So uh, maybe your list would look like mine if you didn't. <laughs> you don't count documentaries as films? <clears throat> I just don't think of them as like, I don't know why, because I do watch a lot of them, especially like killer stuff. I, I'm a big fan of that, but for whatever reason, I didn't think to add them on the list. I guess it's mostly because the ones I watch, I, I, I never think they're coming out in the same year. A lot of the documentaries I watch are just old things that I just never, I'm just kind of catching up with. So I, it's not that I don't consider them documentaries. It's just that I didn't really think of them <laughs> when I was thinking of this list. But if I could, I guess I would add that Belushi one that came out this year, right? That one was really good. Not part of my list, but that document, that documentary is really good. Are you sure you don't want to amend your list on the spot to add it? No, that's fine. All right. Well, actually, yeah. Let's let's take out let's take out Devil All the Time, which was on my list just because I added on my other one. But is that so hold on, hold on? That, Devil All the Time was number three for films watched in 2020 on your list. The last episode does that mean it's number one? No. No, because I wasn't thinking of order. That's okay. the thing. I wasn't thinking of them in in order from be best to. But actually, from the ones I have, oof, that's really sad to say if that's my number one. Because I did like it, but it's not. It's not. Know. Yeah. Here, here's the precursor to the list that will be given tonight. Uh, I, I just said this to Hans right before the show. But in any other year, I can say... Probably none of these movies would be in the top 10. Uh, they would yeah. be B tier at best. Okay. Now, th th there might be an exception for one or two, like the top two placing, top three placing, maybe. But even those, I'm like, no, I don't, I don't think those would be, I don't think they would be no. in the top 10 any other year. 2019 was an especially good year for, for big corporate movies, uh, for major distributors. And to come off of that, it really feels like that might have been the last hurrah of this particular medium for now anyway yeah yeah 
Okay, so should I start with my worst five then? I I would love to hear the worst Actually, five films of the year. Yes. Uh, I'll I'll give okay. I'll tell you what I'll give so, you my worst five as well. Okay. I got right. nothing. I don't. I'll keep just, it brief though. Do you want just to give me give me your five? You give me your five just quick because you you have other. 10. Yes, I so have just, just, 20 more movies to yeah. rattle off. Uh, yeah. All right, so the fifth least worst movie, right? So not the worst, but the fifth fifth to the bottom is actually Batman Death in the Family, but this is not the real fifth because I watched it wrong. Uh, apparently, this is uh, this movie only works on Blu-ray because then it's like a Bandersnatch-style movie. I downloaded the torrent of this animated feature and it's literally just like a 20-minute yeah. recap of a movie that came out eight, nine years ago. So let's take that off. Hubie Halloween. There you go. That's the other one. Uh, Next is a movie. You finished that. I finished it. I finished finished it. Yes, you could not. You could not palette it. Nope. For me. You're a better man than me. uh, I like to give a a movie a shot all the way through, which is why I watched Porno to the very end credits. Porno was a movie that was acquired by Fangoria, uh, who who was owned by Cinestate at the time. And I stayed to the very last card where they said a thoughtful horror film LLC. And that is really what dropped porno even further on my list uh, because that was a terrible movie. Uh, next up was Blood Machines, the Shutter film released in three chapters, which I thought was a, a pointless waste of time. A lot of people prided the visuals. I said, don't care. You, you disagree with machines. That. Never heard. Of it. No. Okay. You didn't hear of it. I thought you were about to say, no, no that wasn't that bad. Uh, next up guns akimbo. You know what? I, 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 before you, okay. Well, no, go ahead. I was, that was, that's on my list. That's on your list. No, I'm kidding. Uh, uh, I, that, that's, too, oh yeah, that was this year. That's weird. Uh, no, the one before, what was the movie before that, that you just mentioned? Porno. So Porno. I, going back to my thought, fuck, I lost my train of thought. Never mind. It wasn't about porno. <laughs> it's about something that you're mentioning of that movie ruined it. God damn it. <laughs> anyway. It's anyway, fine. it's all right. It's Castle Freak. I'll, I'll try to remember. No? Okay. How about Guns Akimbo, the Daniel Radcliffe starring comedy sci-fi film from some Australian director? Really unfunny. It's really painfully bad. Cheesy. Bad jokes. Not worth your time. The worst you- movie... No, no, no. That oh. was the second worst. The worst movie is The Tax Collector. The Tax Collector is an impressively awful film from David Ayer, starring Shia LaBeouf and yeah. a guy who definitely could not pass as a gangster whatsoever. Very soft, very theater kid, very like, uh, well, I best not say, but he, he's a he's not a good actor even. He, his His delivery is off. It is... There's no energy in it. There's nothing believable about it. And the movie is like, it, it doesn't have a, a clear linear path. It does fucking loops with the story and makes no sense at all. The character's decisions are so questionable that it, it removes you from the film. Maybe 30 minutes in, you start to understand this isn't just a bad movie. This movie has zero logic. to it. <laughs> so that's my worst film of the year. I, my, my thought Throughout that movie, I think within that half an hour that you just said that before, you know, it completely falls apart was from then on, 
was oh fuck Shia LaBeouf got a real tattoo for this yeah like that was my thought the thought in my head because of how terrible this movie is how incompetently made it is which again I don't know what the fuck Hollywood did to David Ayer because he was a good up-and-coming director uh, who had interesting things to say and show and the way he would show them were interesting at the beginning of his career and then Suicide Squad came and seems like he just sucked everything out of whatever he had going and now we get the tax collector which is horrendous yeah horrendous. it's, it's so, not even it's not it's not even enjoyable at that no. you know it's not even that you can laugh at it you're just kind of like baffled as to why you why are you doing this you used to be talented and you have a couple of good actors in it too where it's just like you should be getting more from them but yeah it doesn't work in any way the Shia LaBeouf thing Regarding the tattoos, I feel like he took this movie just to get the tattoos so he would have an excuse for it. It kind of, you know what it reminds me of? I don't know. I don't know if you, you still like Tim Dillon. I, I listen to Tim Dillon. I think Tim Dillon's a funny guy. He's, he, I mean, as far as like the field, you know, comedy is very 2020, you know, in terms of quality. So Tim Dillon is really one of the best out there as far as that goes. But what I've noticed lately on his Instagram and on his show is he loves wearing this this very explosive hoodie. <laughs> you, yes. Have you noticed this? He loves baby, to wear this hoodie. Baby yes. ape, I think it is. Now, yeah. now he's doing this. He says for a joke, but what I do think you is, why? do you do you hear why he said? Because apparently a black guy said that he looked fly in it, so he was like the first time a black guy has ever complimented me, so I feel good. Right, which so, sounds very gay, and he's gay, so it makes sense. <laughs> here, here's what it I really makes sense think: that somewhere, you know, somewhere that was going to creep into his mm -hmm, personality. Mm -hmm. So here's yeah. here's what I actually think: he's doing it for a bit, so he can become that. So he's getting comfortable with it as a, as part of the the show, <laughs> so he can eventually adopt that as part of his personality. I think that's what Shia LaBeouf was going to do with the tax collector, which is like, I'll get the tattoos for the role, but I really want to be this guy. And so you're kind of like warming up for that. I think that is exactly what Tim Dillon's doing. That's what Shia LaBeouf did. I think a lot of actors do that. They start to hype beast. Yes, hype beast Tim Dillon. Yes, I. You laugh now. Who's he hanging out with? He's hanging out with all the YouTube people. It's for a joke. It's for a show. No, it ain't. Who right. are you fooling? You live in L.A. You you've been doing this forever now. Come on, you know what you're doing. He's gonna get. Watch in ten years, he's gonna get skinny like Jonah Hill, and he's gonna be dressing like that when he's forty. It's uh, gonna be weird. It's gonna be weird because he's so big, yeah. like so round. Uh, I, I I don't know. I I think it might just be another one of those five year stages that Shia LaBeouf has in his career, where every like five years he kind of re maybe not even five three years he reinvents himself as whatever the new character he's playing. Yeah, is, he's only like thirty two. His whole. So that's his whole personality now, like whatever character he's playing at the time. Uh, I remember when Fury came out, he was like a soldier boy. He was that right? guy. Yeah, he was wearing the boots. That time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when Nymphomania came out, he was like this sexy guy. Right. He's like the 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 uh, his image is it, it seems to be molded around whatever role he has going at the time. But I, I, I never thought he would go as hard as to getting a gigantic tattoo on his chest for this role, which which is a new level of method acting, I guess, but at least do it. Like it, it happened the same thing with uh, Jared Leto when he did that movie where he gained a bunch of weight 
and it's just a piece of shit movie. Yeah. <laughs> or the 50 Cent movie where he lost a shitload of weight and he's just a oh, who cares the AIDS movie. movie. Yeah, and then no one watched yeah, yeah, it. No one, like, no one saw it. Exactly. It's just like, thanks a lot for doing that. No one gives a fuck. Yeah. Uh, and for this one, especially after watching the movie, I guess you could defend it a little bit if it ended up being fucking Goodfellas 2, but Mexican. Yeah. You know? But That's not what it happened. wasn't at no, all. Not at all. In any, in any way, at any point, nothing. It's just... Yeah, it has no redeeming qualities at all. It's 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 really, it's it it's kind of impressive how bad it is. You know how mm. with all the resources that you have, being a director that had a name. I don't know if his name's still there after this and Suicide Squad, but he had a name, and you have. I mean, letting you know his craziness to the side. Shia LaBeouf is a very talented actor. Like he's very good when whenever he's trying. So you do have the tools, and then you watch this, and you're just like, I, I'm just confused as to how. Like, how do you even make something as bad as this? You know. Uh, but clearly, anyway. he did that as a favor. Do you think? Uh, do you think it was him acting as? Well, his... He wrote it too, right? Didn't Didn't Ayer write it too? I, I think so. Yeah, it. this was a passion project for Ayer. <laughs> Oh, Jesus. I was going to say, uh, do you think Shia LaBeouf playing his abusive father uh, uh, was him adopting those personality traits why he took it out on FKA Twigs? Maybe. Maybe. You, you like that movie, right? I thought that movie was great. Yeah, he's yeah, he's have, he's excellent in it. And the child actor, what's his, I don't know his, the kid's name, but he's very good too. It's a very good movie, Honey Boy. Uh, I, the director has disavowed Shia LaBeouf since then, so I don't know about whatever they're going to do next. What a worm. Well, what, what a worm He's, that woman is. She was just, yeah. pro- here's the thing. I have, look, I, I, I have a recollection Tick, of her. She did the Tig Notaro <laughs> thing. Tignataro. After you, after you granted her a career, she turns on you. Uh, she was priding the North Korean dictator, his sister, when his sister was supposed to be taken. Cause he, you know, he died like four times. Oh yeah. Yeah. In the press. Yeah. yeah, yeah, like, yeah. We haven't seen him in a couple of weeks. He must and be dead. She was this girl boss. Because... Yeah. She was, she was priding that, that, that woman. And then she has the nerve to turn against Shia LaBeouf who made her. I, I really can't stand that kind of, regardless of what Shia LaBeouf could have murdered an old woman in the most violent fashion possible with his fist really turned it into like a, like a, the inside of a watermelon you just smashed. Uh, it doesn't matter. You shouldn't, you shouldn't turn on somebody that you have a good working relationship with just based, based on morality, in my opinion. But what do you do? What crazy thing he did now? That's just not typical of every actor. Cause I feel like he's, he's, He's obviously very talented. He's been doing this for a long time, and he's played, I, I would say, comparable to someone like Johnny Depp that's played so many different types of character, right? Yeah. Where where you're going to get Shia LaBeouf. You know he's going to be good, and he's going to be playing someone interesting. Uh, even if he gets a couple of lines, even if it's just a couple of things, you know that he's going to fucking get into that character, and he's going to be that guy for how many lines you get. Um. But yeah, that, that that's some snake shit, and and he he's just he's just not the typical actor, and I think that he tried to do that with the he will not divide us thing, and like trying to be a little bit more vocal on those things because of the whole environment that he's in. But I don't know if that's who he really is uh, for that same reason. Also, like he he just uh, here's changed. what remember I think. When he was an, remember when he was an artist? 
Act. Yes. And he was just he did his movie sitting theater, with man. a paperback on his head. Yeah, the Nymphomaniac premiere. He put his he said, "I am not famous anymore." The same year that Lars von Trier yeah. won his, uh, wore his persona non grata t shirt after getting kicked out for uh, making a very failed inappropriate joke during the Melancholia yeah. press conference. <laughs> So, right, but th- but but he seems to be someone interesting, someone that's kind of an artist, maybe. Like I hate saying this, but you know, someone that has a little bit of personality that's not the mold that every character or every actor is supposed to be to be successful in Hollywood. Which is why I think he gets so much shit thrown at him, not because he's untalented, but just because of his outside life. Outside because of, like, he's, he's an actual to- person, and that has made him being an actual person and living in that kind of environment. We have to be performative in order to get roles right and i'm not saying that this isn't performative obviously doing these uh uh these events and uh you know whatnot uh is super performative but there's a difference between that and the artifice in day-to-day interaction with people in order to try and bolster yourself i think you take that kind of person you put it in that environment and somebody like that who is not the easiest person to get along with uh regardless they're going to implode they're they're gonna become unstable especially if they're raised in that environment like yeah so you you get a factor that in as well which is not to excuse anything that he did or did not do i'm not even well versed on what the allegations are it seemed pretty bad seemed unrealistic at some points in my opinion uh like you couldn't imagine a human being that's relatively stable and not a sociopath creepy rapist murderer type person doing uh and then some of it sounded extremely shia labeouf like uh, uh, slamming his foot on the on the gas pedal and refusing to slow down unless she said I love you, which sounds like a scene out of American <laughs> Honey or something, you know. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I can yeah, picture yeah, yeah. him doing Just that. A, but it's an even Stevens. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Look, which again isn't to like the the validity of the claims is irrelevant. I don't care either way. Right. Uh, I like Shia LaBeouf as an actor. Well, Tax collector's bad. I think we go back to the. The thing that you made a video about is the whole Vincent Gallo thing, where yeah. it's like if you want to have actors that actually have a personality outside of what they're reading, you're going to get a bunch of weirdos or weirdos, quote unquote, weirdos that are just not what you're expecting or not the behavior that you expect from them, which makes them boring, which makes them very good at reading something that someone else wrote for them. But if you interview them or you talk to them, they're a zero. That There's has no perspective. To say. That's the thing. There's no nothing, personality yeah. developed that they can bring. So maybe they can inhabit a role, but it, it, what will be left is a very sterilized, good performance that doesn't have any sort of energy beyond that. No life beyond that, which I, I think we have a lot of actors that are trying to be Daniel day Lewis, uh, that, that method style of acting, you know, like that's going to make them good. Right. But if everybody's, if everybody's doing a lesser variation of that, then you don't have a, like what, what worth are you? You're all the same. Yeah. You're all, you're all the same cardboard cutout. Uh, we need more people you have to like be better than him. If you, if you're going to do that. Yes. You have to, you have to be that crazy person that, what was it in, um, in, uh, gangs of New York that he thought he Bill the was butcher. the butcher. Yes. So he, so if you were talking to him, like he's the character and you're not going to get him out of that, like you have to go overboard otherwise than why you've been trying. But you know? even even with him, that was his personality. That was his person. And because it's been blanketed to every young actor, it, 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 it loses its novelty. It's the Tarantino thing. When Tarantino came out, all of his films were a mashup of other earlier films, obscure films. When everybody else is trying to do that and ape that style, then it 
I mean, eventually that'll wear off and you'll be able to recognize the artists who brought that forward, you know, as the visionary or whatever. But for, for the time being where it's just like a spread out field, it's, it's boring, you know, it's, it doesn't offer anything new. So, um, I don't know from that. We should so probably, we're, we should, we're team Shia. I we're, guess. we're definitely uh, team Shia LaBeouf. He's welcome on the show anytime. Uh, yep. Welcome to be in anything that we do. This yes. is great. Mass State Lottery. He, he, he actually, he actually would be someone that I think. Like I'm not a good interviewer, as anyone's seen. Whenever we have a guest, but someone that would be interesting to talk to, just because of how out there he is and how much he's played a different role, not just in as an actor, but as in, in his life or whatever it is that he does. Not that I know what his personal life is like, but like I said, you know, he he's tends to like transfer himself into whatever role he's doing for a while. So he's someone that I think will be interesting to just talk to just to see what's, you know, what's going on in his head. And again, one of those uh, artists that, you know, it's, it'll be worth to, to have a conversation with instead of just a regular bland actor. Yeah. I just remembered somebody, somebody who has been on this show before had a very volatile interaction with Shia LaBeouf at one point in Los Angeles. Um, that's yeah. A, yeah. It's, it probably wouldn't be a good story for the podcast. Uh, probably be better to let them sure. talk about it. Actually, I think Jake Hanrahan had a weird interaction with Shia LaBeouf too, uh, but not in person. Just through what's the it? What's it? What's it? Nick Oldershaw that was just homeless with him <laughs> for a couple of days or something. <laughs> I did poppers with Shia LaBeouf and slept in my car. Yeah. No. No. It was not Nick Oldershaw. Although that would not surprise me in the slightest. Based on, <laughs> I, I mean, did you listen to his podcast on? Uh, yeah. Shane Gillis and the, Matt and the, Yes. Oh God. What a life. I didn't know. I didn't know any of this shit about this nice boy. This very nice, well-adjusted <laughs> looking. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's just like, yeah, I'm fucking doing acid and some homeless, whatever the fuck. It's just like, Jesus, dude, you jerk off with cars coming at you. What the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, doing medical uh, tests for money, me... spinal fluid, mishap, spinal fluid, yeah. just trickling uh -huh. out of oh, oh, that. Oh, I was on the train. I was like, I started shriveling up listening to that. Uh, everybody, go listen to the Nick Oldershaw episode of Matt and Shane's Secret Stash. I'm I'm new to I'm new to like Shane Gillis stuff, so I don't. Okay. Is that the name? It's great. I'm a big fan of the the show. It's called Matt and Shane's Secret Podcast. Uh, yeah, and Nick Oldershaw is in his last week's episode. I think episodes comes out come out on Tuesday. I think so. He's in the last one, uh, and it's really really interesting, really funny. Yeah, um, Shane Gillis's podcast yeah. is very good. That's what that's what I, I've kind of reached my 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 limit where I'm kind of getting sick of the people that I like uh, in terms of listening to people, and I need new stuff. So I started listening to them, and I've been really enjoying that. And also Ari Schaefer's podcast. Ari Schaefer's somebody I had a distaste for Tra previously. Schaefer. Schaefer. Ari Schaefer. Schaefer. What's it? Yeah. Paul Schaefer, <laughs> David Letterman's uh, band leader. Yes, Schaefer, the guy from Listen, Ace Down. Down. I said mean? Joe Spinello the earlier Farrell. in the night. I don't know anybody's <laughs> names, okay? I'm old. I'm old now, Hans. I'm like you. You got to correct me. All right? That's right. I'm, I'm the young Sprite. <laughs> uh, yes, yes. Shane And his sketch comedy that he did on, on YouTube, that bit was very funny as well. So Shane Gillis, well, check him out. The thing, I, the thing that I like about that show is that it's just two shitheads. You know, they have no pretenses of talking about even when they talk about like war and shit like that. They're just two retards that at, at any point would be like, yeah, that war was gay. And that's it. And move on. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's just 
it, it's really easy to, to listen to. But uh, yeah, go 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 listen to the show that's much bigger than this one. <laughs> yeah. Go uh, like you need us to fucking send people that way. Anyway, uh, let me get to my list because uh, if not, we're not gonna finish this. Ever. You didn't even get to uh, your your worst movies. Yeah. Hurry, hurry. Not even on, my first one. It. Yeah. This is supposed to be a so, shorter show. We're already 24 minutes in. So my top that one is uh, Jacob's Ladder. That was 2020. And was completely it? forgot that was 2020. Was it? was it? the beginning of the year, yeah. It was before we, we shot the movie and everything. Uh, it was one of the first episodes of the year, I think. And that uh, movie is just has no reason to exist. It's as simple as that. It doesn't do anything well. It doesn't improve anything from the original. It's just, uh, it's just, uh, what is it? A race swap movie, and that's it. With, you know, removing everything that made the original interesting. Yeah, it's Not nothing just, like the original. Also, also visually and just the performances and everything is just. Uh, it, it kind of felt like just, uh, you know, uh, uh, we need to do something with this franchise because we're gonna re- lose the rights to it. So just do whatever. And right. that's what this movie is. It's just whatever. It just has its name, but it's it's garbage. Uh, uh, the next one is, uh, I don't know if you've seen it. It's a Netflix Spanish movie called The Platform. I don't know if you've heard of it. I haven't heard of uh, it. When it, came, when it came out, it had a little bit of, uh, of, of hype because uh, visually it's very interesting. It, it all happens in, uh, in these jail cells that are designed in a way where, uh, so it's just like a tall uh, tower, right? And the way that they feed people is that a platform goes down every day with full of food, but it's going uh, floor by floor and in each floor people eat. So, you know, by the time they get to floor 20 or whatever, there's barely anything left or scraps or whatever. And it, it, it's kind of like social commentary as to, you know, what society uh, has and have not Poor people get shit on and whatnot. But this suffers from the thing that, um, I saw the devil doesn't suffer from, which is this movie believes that it's really smart, but it's really fucking dumb. Like midway throughout the movie, things just stop making sense. You're just like, hold on. Like the rules that you've set up are just this way so that they can continue with the story. It's just, it's shitty. And uh, it's one of those open endings of like, we don't, we don't figure it out yourself. Big waste Uh, of time. To me. Yeah. So to me, it was, a huge waste of time, especially because of the, all the hype that it, it had, uh, at least in Spanish-speaking countries. I guess you guys never heard of it, but uh, in our Netflix was huge. And it, yeah, that piece of shit. Uh, next one, quickly. Invisible Man. Hated that piece of shit. In, we've, we, did we do an episode of this? I don't think so. I don't remember. We might have talked okay, about it so in Invisible, passing. Invisible Man, uh, Ugly Wife who is kind of crazy uh story that doesn't make any sense technology that doesn't make any sense it was well shot at points but it was very boring and whenever shit hits the fan it doesn't make any fucking sense at all again disappointing disappointing is the word that comes to mind for lee winnell because Mm -hmm. everything else he's done has been like a pretty well done smart and uh stylistic uh, piece of work like yeah. uh, upgrade was great the original saw movie is, is pretty good for a written piece too uh is is successful yeah yeah and this one just yeah no i uh <laughs> i i uh 
that would be three. I don't even want to get into it that much just because it's not even worth it. Uh, another one that I don't under, uh, this is my doctor sleep for this year Oh God. where I don't understand the brace where I just don't understand what other people are seeing in it. Uh, because I'm, I'm pretty sure he got mostly positive reviews. Uh, but I, I just couldn't, I couldn't get into the story and I couldn't find anything other than visually interesting at times that would make me want to either recommend or watch it again. And, uh, the next one is the Five Bloods. Oh, Spike! Ooh, Spike. Oh, 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 what, what, what happened? I know, I we, know. We might have. We, I don't know. That was almost in my top ten. I took it out of my top ten. I had okay. it in my top ten. That's how bad the year is. That would have been interesting if you had a, a a worse than I. I had the same movie as one of my best. Damn, could have been good. That good wasn't your best. Yes, for for one of my best. For one of my ten. It, it came in wow. at what was it number. 11, 12, 13, something like that. Uh, yeah. I like, look, I have a higher tolerance for Spike Lee. The Five Bloods is number 13. Okay. Well, I, yeah, no, didn't do anything <laughs> for me. I know. All, we, I could tell in the all, episode we did. At fucking all. We did an episode. Well, we, that's we, the thing. We, we did, did. I did too. So I did an episode with you and I did one <laughs> oh, in no. my Spanish show. Did you watch and it both twice? Of it was just like, no, no, oh. <laughs> no, no. I I think we did it like back to back or something because I was like, ah, that's not gonna happen. Yeah. But yeah, I just that's the thing. I don't have the attachment to Spike Lee movies that most people do. Who grew up with it or whatever. To me, it's just, hey, this guy did do the right thing a long time ago, and haven't really seen much from him since. Uh, so that one, and then the last bad movie that I at least top five that I saw this year was Project Power. Whoa, Have Jamie Foxx, Matt Power, Reeves, like, no. Jamie Foxx, yeah, yeah, that's not, it's not, no. And Netflix needs to stop with this alternative universe of weird superheroes that they're trying to create because everything that they've tried to do related to that just doesn't work. And this one, it's really forced. It's really, like, again, set up rules that don't make sense. Uh, characters just make decisions just for the for the plot to move along, even though it doesn't make sense with the character that's been set up or the storyline that's been set up, it's very flashy and it's one of those movies that that seems to be trying to fill up a diversity quota too. Yeah, how you know, about Jihadi very... Gordon Levitt there on the art where he's got brown face? Yeah. They darken Joseph Gordon Levitt to look like an Indian yeah. man on that artwork yeah, for Netflix. Yeah. It's Turkish. Or something, I don't know, mm-hmm. but it's bad. It's really bad. So those, those are my five. I'm sure there's worse movies, but at least from the ones that I saw, those are the the five ones that really stuck in my head. Uh, but again, going back to what you said on the last episode, the five bloods probably wouldn't have made top fifteen for you. So yeah, I'll take that as a grain of salt. That's probably the one that we would disagree on the most. But yeah, but that, I mean that, that's that's mainly just look. I I'll agree with you that the quality of that movie is not ideal. Uh, but for a movie that has so few good scripted films, and I'm already partial to Spike Lee to begin with, it's going to rank higher uh, just naturally based on that merit. But uh, if I was an impartial viewer, well, maybe a different story. Um, here's a here. I mean, Project Power. That that's not looking optimistic then for the Batman movie. That's the same writer and director of the new Batman movie. Not yeah, good. Let's see. Not good. I don't know. I don't know. 
like there's there's some scenes where where this girl, this black girl, is one of the main characters. Um, she raps, um, and then they're in the classroom, and everyone's like, "Come on, do, do a rap!" And then oh. she she does a rap, and it's very uncomfortable for like a minute. <laughs> so it's a, it, it has those tones of of uh, maybe we'll get an audience of children, you know, like that trying to appeal to everyone, like you mentioned a couple of minutes ago, just like. You should be with Bong Bong Chung Hu, Hu Wung Bong, whatever. Uh, when when it's like you should stick to one thing, not try to please everyone. This movie is trying to please everyone, and then at the end, it's for you know what that no sounds one. like. That sounds like when me and Kenny were in our youth, we'd go to hardcore parties, you know, like the music hardcore, uh-huh. and they'd be like, "Whoa, there's a black guy here. Hey, can you rap? Can you just do a rap real quick?" And then it would, Kenny would give his rap, and they would all be like. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> he just does his Instagram videos but live. Yes. Uh, yes. I used I, I used to go to hardcore shows too, uh when I was growing up and I had one black friend that would go to hardcore shows and he was trying so hard to not be that that he would dress with like the loudest hardcore shirts with like the most metal or like the most whatever. And he I guess he he was like a martial artist or whatever because he would do the hardcore dancing, but his moves were actually like like you could see that he was throwing real kicks or whatever. Yeah, like the killer. So it was like this guy. City. Yeah, he. Yeah. He, yeah. He, yeah, <laughs> shirtless and yeah, and he, he he was trying so hard to not be just a token black in his group of friends that he became white. Like his entire demeanor was super white, but he was you know yeah. really dark. I don't know. I just tell you that story, but it, but anyway, we no, both I, have I, black. I think that's a. That's I think that's a. <laughs> I think that's a pretty common trait. Uh, with guys like that, though, they usually come around and go the opposite way within like ten years. Then they become like right, uh, right, right. Uh, Tariq Nasheed by the time they hit thirty. It's like, it's like they never accepted me, and I've tried so hard. So now I'm a black Israelite. Right. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, all right. Let's let's get to the best movies of the year. I'll just give. A uh, quick rundown of the movies that did not make it. One that I was considering putting in my top 10 was TFW No GF because I felt like we were especially hard on that movie. But in retrospect to the rest of the year, I think it was a subversive piece of documentary filmmaking. And uh, certainly one of the more memorable movies of the year just because it highlighted a an online subculture that I don't think is going to be covered or talked about in anything mainstream uh, for a little bit. Anyway, I think I, maybe maybe that trend will change. On the opposite end of that is Feels Good Man, which is the Pepe documentary, Pepe the Frog. Uh, and it's kind of like the opposite view of TFW No GF. It's really, it, it, it's oddly positioned as just a, an antithesis to the TFW No GF movie. And both feature Eggy, Eggman, Egg White. Yeah. So maybe maybe we could get him on at some point to talk about both these movies. I feel like maybe the time has passed for that because it's not 2020 anymore. But uh, relevant, yeah. But But I know he's friends with you. You you interact with him regularly, right? I don't know about we're we're online friendly, so we follow each other. I don't really interact. I mean, I don't know. We've had like very very short discussions in the past. But should get him to visit you, and you can do some. uh some uh sopa videos with him <laughs> wicked supper we'll get drew carson for the episode yeah. instead <laughs> who can who, who you can see right now in one of our recent videos from the headshot account so uh another one was happy happy joy joy the ren and stimpy documentary that's uh about the 
Spumco company that John Kay founded and did that fantastic cartoon. Uh, and then at the last 30 minutes, they talk about some other things that John Kay did that were not so nice. That was very oh, naughty, God. very bad, John Kay. Who are you talking to oh, online, no. John? Oh. Who are you bringing out to California, John? Oh. Who's this little girl? <laughs> Why is she living with you? You're not her dad, John. Please, somebody call the police. Uh, John Kay. He was just pretending he was pretending to be jerry seinfeld that's it yeah yeah but with a 13 year old yeah oh she was I, yeah I, okay. yeah no it's it's not <laughs> it's not a james franco jerry seinfeld she was 17 and about to turn 18 in a week no this was a 13 year old girl who looked like a child this is not good uh but john k is a very talented artist and uh it's a shame that ren and snippy you know Went, went the way of the dinosaur and got corporatized and that he brought it back and it was even worse. So, uh, yeah. Happy, happy, joy, joy. Uh, pretty good documentary. Next up was Arkansas, the movie from uh, Clark Duke with oh, shit, Vince Vaughn. Yeah. I thought that was good niche Midwestern uh, crime done well, but yeah. did, didn't really linger beyond that for my viewing. Uh, and then... Your background, Color Out of Space, is right up following that, which I thought was pretty good. And I thought, all right, well, that's a decent start to the year. Yeah. And it didn't really go too much higher than that. So <laughs> uh, then we did Friedkin Uncut, which was a movie made in 2018, but released this year, which is about the work of William Friedkin. Uh, the Five Bloods was number 13. Another William Friedkin documentary, specifically on The Exorcist, that was released direct to Shutter, called Leap of Faith was number 12 and then the showgirls performing is that where he's performing the exorcisms or is that another one no that no that movie's so no bad. that's the devil and father whatever father right? more that's what that's the worst movie he's ever done yeah. that's so bad it is really bad uh you don't know me the documentary on paul verhoven and showgirls is number 11 just missing out so that those are the ones who did not make the cut why don't you well, actually, we, you only have four, so I should I should go right into the top ten, and then we'll even out at four. We'll go tit for tat. Okay. Uh, number ten is this movie. My background, if you're watching the video, Fat Man, uh, the Mel Gibson Christmas film starring uh, Mel Gibson and Walton Goggins. This was directed by uh, two directors, a, a pair of brothers, it seems, Esham Nelms and Ian Nelms. And I give this movie a lot of credit because it, it is a ridiculous concept. It is an action film, and at no point does it wink to the camera. It sticks to its premise seriously and throughout, and at no point makes any self-depreciating jokes about its subject matter. It just allows the film to be itself because it realizes the film is the joke. So they don't cannibalize any aspect of it in the lead up and that shows confidence and it wound up making for a stronger funnier better film than what this probably would have turned out to be in the hands of anybody else so fat man is number 10 um so do you think this would this is better than something like mario lopez's kfc movie oh my god well, you're well you're, you're specifically <laughs> referencing that because i said i hated that so much yes of course that that's the opposite where it's all winking in the camera you have him as the the colonel and it's a it's a movie we did a movie no it's an 18 minute commercial who are you fooling 
disgusting. Yeah. Next up, a documentary called Jasper Mall, which, uh, you know, similar to Arkansas, is a slice of life out in the Midwest, southern Midwest, about a dying mall. Stores are closing up. Nobody's oh. visiting the mall. I think I saw that. That was painfully depressing, wasn't it? It was. It wasn't great. It yeah. was kind of like, I mean, I'm I I've been a big fan of Dan Bell, who's a YouTuber. He likes to go into abandoned places and dirty motels and explore them or whatever. He's kind of fallen off. No offense to him. And this kind of reminded me of his earlier work, where he's exploring malls, another dead mall series, and uh, just more in a narrative sense, even though it's a documentary, getting to know the people that work inside them as opposed to just simply exploring them and offered more depth to that. Uh, so Jasper Mall was a pretty good documentary. Number eight is a movie we talked about on the show. And uh, the one recent episode that did not do well at all in the numbers or the downloads, people were not interested in checking out Possessor, what we had to say about Possessor, maybe because we did the Twitch show and that did decent. Um maybe. Possessor, we, we, I mean, we did a full episode on Possessor. I don't really need to talk about it at length. Uh, did you have anything you wanted to share about it? Well, it's on my list, too, of the best ones. Uh, not because of how much I liked it, but because of how shit the year it was, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I did. There's a lot of a lot of it that is uh, to like in it. But at the end, I think my... Uh, what what I thought of the movie was that at, at the end, like I was left with one thing a little bit more than was given, um, but at least visually and story wise, it was it was it was good. It was decent. Yeah. Again, I don't think it would be top ten if it was any other year, but this year, at least it was creative. You know, at least it was something that you don't usually see, uh, even if they were selling it to you with that image. Uh, with the mask image that ends up not being as creepy or as or relevant you at all from yes. seeing this yeah mm -hmm. yeah 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 it just looks like but, a saggy uh, yeah. piece of latex uh number seven is the ben affleck career comeback film the uh cory Haim i'm sober and ready to work ad in film form the way back which is about him being an alcoholic coach and uh he, he just kind of stays an alcoholic and he blows it for the team uh, because of his alcoholism, where he can't show up to the final game, he's fired, and then he's just looking off a cliff, wondering where it all went wrong. That's where it ends. But it, it's more optimistic than that, because I guess he quits or something. I don't know. The Way Back's a pretty good movie, but again, this is this really wouldn't be in the top ten otherwise. Uh, number six is a movie that surprised me, that uh, stars Joe Joe... Joe Joe Keery. That's the last name I was looking for from Stranger Things. Oh, right. Directed by Eugene. Uh, he's got a very Russian last name. I'm not going to attempt that. It's written and uh, directed by Eugene Levy. Uh, Spree. <laughs> Spree right. is, a, is a movie, a good example of a movie that uses, uh, like, I don't want to call them scraps, but actors that are essentially scraps that you can find on Cameo.com. Uh, and employs them like David Arquette and actually gets good performances out of these people. Frankie Grande is in this movie from Big Brother. And I hate Frankie Grande. I couldn't <laughs> I couldn't stand him on Big Brother. And to see him make something of himself in this, it it made me want to hate this movie when I saw him in the trailer. But the movie won me over. Joe Carey is very good in it. And I think this is a movie that will have some life beyond this year. 
So this is really where I would say the list is starting to be legitimate, right? Where this is a movie I probably would rewatch. I, I liked Spree mm. quite a bit and uh, I was impressed by it. This is one that you mentioned before that I just, I couldn't get into it. I, 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 I didn't get like very, uh, like I got into five minutes in and I was like, just not in the mood to watch something like yeah. that. I, I had recently watched, oh, fuck, what was it called? Host, I think it was, mm-hmm. which is like a, a Zoom horror movie that they made, which was really, really bad. So that really put me off uh, of that type of, you know, ma- movie making thing. But it's the second time that you said something nice about it. So I might just check it out, even though I don't really find him to be very likable, the actor. Well, he's, um, I mean, in this movie, he's hes not supposed to be. He's supposed to be like a, an annoying a YouTube. Twitch SJWE, yeah. but not really type of guy. Like someone who just is, is a nuisance online. Like he's not. Pretending to be. Yeah, yeah. They could yeah. have turned him into Jamie like. Hilton. Yes, yeah. They I, they could have turned him into uh, the Elliot Roger prototype of incel. Right. Okay. But they, they don't do that. They do make him more of a Jamie Kilstein type, but it's not overwhelming and it's not his defining character trait which i think is a great move on the filmmaker's behalf because then once you do that it becomes a very 2d cartoonish we get what you're doing and that overrides the movie so to keep that subdued and make him you know more egregious in other ways i think is a very smart move from the filmmaker's behalf so that's number six for me number five is the trip to greece from michael winterbottom starring rob brydron and steve coogan uh, this was maybe not the best movie in the Trip series. I think they progressively get worse, but they're all very watchable. The first one's the best one. Right? Yes, the first one's definitely the best one. Yeah. Trip to Greece. So have you have you become because I I didn't know what your familiarity with uh, Steve Coogan was before these Trip movies because I I know that most of the time when you talk about Steve Coogan is about these movies or at least the times that I've heard you talk about is about the trip movies have you gotten into any of his earlier work yeah yeah uh, so alan partridge or alan partridge is like the only thing of his i haven't checked out i know it's the big character he's known for in the uk but i when he made the leap uh overseas and started getting work in hollywood uh specifically when he popped up in tropic thunder and that came out in the same time as hamlet 2 and i saw hamlet 2 in theaters I thought both of those were very funny, so I did a deep dive into Steve Coogan's work. But I didn't; I've never watched Alan Partridge anything. Okay, you should. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really bad at recommending things, but uh, it's uh, it's that type of British comedy that really works. You know, there's it's very. I feel like British comedy is very hit and miss. Like it could be sometimes much too dry to the point of being unlikable yeah but in this one he's such a it's such an out of this world oblivious character that thinks so much of himself even though his situation is so shit that it 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 lends for that very uncomfortable british comedy that makes you want to look away but not really uh you know where you just i can't like my face hurts from cringing so hard, but I need to finish the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, if you enjoy like the the bantering that he does with, uh, Rob, what's his name? Rob, Rob Brydon. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think a, a deep dive into uh, Alan Partridge, not the movie, 
uh, the movie was kind of whatever. He had a talk show that was like a fake talk show where Simon Pegg shows up and just like people that are now uh, something that is really good. Uh, and just his regular TV show, like the, the well, the original one, I guess. Right. Um, check him out because I think you would. Uh oh, we got a freeze. After all this time recording now, 48 minutes, it, it took that long for Hans's connection. Hi, you're, you're back. You were just saying you'd think I'd like yes. Alan Partridge, probably. Yes. Okay. So just watch all <laughs> that. My, that was a long way of me saying just watch Alan Partridge. Okay. Uh, uh, about the trip to Greece before we move into top four for both of us. Uh, it's the last trip film. It was advertised as the last trip, but it, it ends very weird and abruptly. Like uh, Steve Coogan or somebody ran out of time with Michael Winterbottom and he just like leaves the country midway through. Uh, because there's a death in the family, feels feels like an odd note to end on. I I don't know. As films, I don't know if they really work in like a as a as a movie, but as comedies, they su- tremendous successes. Very very funny movies. It, it's like a modern day dinner with Andre, right? Where kind it's just of. two people sitting. Not, yeah. Not not much is happening, but their personality pretty much driving the whole thing. It's funnier, definitely. Well, yeah. Um, that that goes without saying. And there, more, more is they, happening. They leave the dinner table, so. Yeah, and they're way, way more talented that I can't remember who played those characters in the universe, Andre, but the fact that they're comedians, like, it adds a lot to just the banter or, like, the shit that they talk. Uh, I haven't seen the third one, but I remember enjoying the first and second very much. So I, that's definitely one that I would check out. Yeah, the first two are absolutely the best. The third one is kind of where it starts to fall off, uh, but they're still funny. Like, that's the thing. It wouldn't be number five if it wasn't funny. So uh, definitely check that out. I know they... it's initially released as a series in the UK and then they cobble them together, re-edit it and package it as a movie. Uh, Very interesting approach there. Uh, Okay. You want to start off with your number four for the year? Uh, This one, I I just haven't heard, especially our circle uh, talking about it. And uh, it's one that kind of surprised me, but not really at the same time, because I, I, I'm, one of the few people in our group, I think, that is that still enjoys Andy Samberg uh, on screen. Oh, uh, I still think. I, I guess I, I have a thing with Hot Rod. Like Hot Rod is one of my favorite comedies uh, because of how silly it is. That whenever there's a new thing with him that looks interesting, I'll check it out just because I think he's 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 not become unbearable yet. He's someone that I still like. Uh, it's it's called uh, Palm Springs. Yeah, I watched uh, this and movie. it's kind of it's kind. Of, oh, you did? Mm-hmm. It's kind of like a Twilight Zone episode, right? Where it's like you fall into a time loop of things that that you can't get away, and then this girl is also in the same time loop. And I I, I just I, I thought it was a very creative idea, and uh, the way that it was shot, I I really enjoyed. Uh, and I just I'm a big fan of Andy Samberg. I just think it's very likable. Uh, and this is one that I haven't really seen many people mention especially in a year like this where comedies you know even though it's kind of a sci-fi movie like there's a there's a lot of funny things in it uh, it was better so than i helped. thought it would be that's oh. what i'll say because i have no i i really don't like andy samberg uh but i was yeah. able to watch <laughs> yeah. I, I was able to watch the movie to completion it wasn't much i it was more of a i was over my girlfriend's house and her brother put it on because he's an andy samberg fan i guess and i was just like the polite but viewer just sitting <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. to myself, going to keep my thoughts okay. to myself today. Not this fucking sucks. <laughs> Turn this shit off. Uh, you know, that's not the impression you want to leave on a, on a significant other's family members. 
So uh, just a fucking movie snob that likes a lot of really shitty movies, and not this one because you like this one. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not gonna so, like it. Yeah. Um, but it was actually I, I thought it was all right. I thought it was decent, uh, especially for a comedy, a modern comedy. It does well, and it was watchable. I didn't get bored uh, or find it intolerable. It was between that and and uh, another one that's kind of similar, uh, Vivarium. I think that's how you pronounce it. That was it's, Jesse Eisenberg, uh, right? Yeah, that that was kind of a similar story uh, where they just get caught into what seems to be like a reality loop that mm-hmm. they can't escape. Uh, that one was a little bit more um, artistically made, I guess. The, the cinematography is a little bit more interesting, um, but I I enjoyed Palm Springs a little bit more, so. Uh, that, that that would be my number four right now. Not a bad pick. My number four is a collaboration between Abel Ferrer and Willem Dafoe called Tommaso, which is partially autobiographical. And uh, it is about Willem Dafoe, who is Abel Ferrer's neighbor in real life and a good friend of his because they've done tons of movies together, uh, hooking up with Abel Ferrer's real life wife. He feels her breasts. He kisses her. They're making out on the couch. He's <laughs> fucking her. <laughs> It is hot. It is Tommaso is hot. You know, that's why it's number four. <laughs> uh, one of the uh, one of the things I like about Tommaso is that they don't tell you he is an unreliable narrator. So you see his wife uh, cheating on him maybe about 20 minutes into the film. And you're like, oh, shit, she's ruined their she ruined their happy family. But then, you know, you just get glimpses at other delusions. And, it, 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 you know, by the end of it, you realize, oh, th- these are all just manifestations uh, of his insecurities on the screen that, uh, you know, these are these are all fantasies of his. These worst case scenarios that are playing out uh, like him being captured and killed and all this and that. It's a, it's an interesting movie. It feel, So Abel Ferrer and Willem Dafoe had two movies come out this year. And, I, you know, I'll just do this back to back. Uh, number no, three. No, that's no, my next pick, you piece of shit. <laughs> Siberia, right? Really? You watch Siberia? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, All right. Wow. Okay, you, you can see. All right. Well, I mean, we'll just turn this into a general conversation for the number three spot because we both have Siberia. Okay. So I watched Siberia yeah. recently because it came out online. Uh, I watched Tommaso, and I thought, "All right, that was that was pretty good." And I actually thought it was one of the better films of the year. And um, one thing that struck me about Tommaso is that it, it's shot in a lo-fi manner. Like it felt like very, we'll shoot this whenever we can. We'll shoot this at each other's apartments in the neighborhood. We're only using friends and family in this movie for actors. And I thought, All it right, felt well, like a very personal, very personal, very small project mm-hmm. thing where let me get my friends together and just do this you know, in our house. You know, nothing big, nothing Right. You know, bigger than that. So I thought, all right, is Abel Ferrer at the point in his career where that's just the type of movie he's doing? Because it, it's a familiar trajectory. Like Francis Ford Coppola started doing, I mean, not with his friends and family. I mean, he'd always done that. He put his daughter in Godfather 3, but where he's making smaller films overseas for less money. I thought, all right, well, this is, this is, I mean, in terms of the production, the scale of the production, it is a far cry from something like uh, Bad Lieutenant or... Um, king of new york but it's still good it's good in its own way it's just a different type of film then you watch siberia and you're like oh siberia was the real movie they were shooting this was the project that was like the backup got it right okay so siberia it looks and feels 
more like what I'll call a real film, as in would an average person sit down and put this movie on and go, why is it shot like this? Why does it look like this? No, they wouldn't do that. This is, this, this is very uh, visually interesting. And uh, I'll let you yeah. take over since this is your number three. It feels like a fever dream, the whole thing. Like, you you don't really know what the movie is trying to say for most of the movie. I don't even know if you know what it's trying to say by the end of it. Uh, but his interactions with every character that comes into his life are so interesting, even though, you know, at the beginning, he can't even speak the language that the Russians or whatever those ladies are uh, speak. But the way that he has been communicating in this very isolated place with them uh, make th those interactions very interesting because it's not like a verbal thing, but it's more of like a, let me, you know, have you try to understand me. Uh, and uh, visually, it had so many little things that, well, just like you said, I, I, I did watch Tommaso before this, so I, I, I was expecting his trajectory or his career to go smaller. But this one felt very ambitious to me. Like yeah. it, it felt like it's definitely not, not a movie for everyone. Uh, not a movie for someone that maybe doesn't have a lot of patience to watch movies. Um, and it, it felt more of like an artistic statement than Tommaso to me. Uh, but I, I enjoyed it throughout. And I, it's weird because I've always thought of Willem Dafoe as a great actor, um, even though he's, he's, you know, he's, he's done a lot of mainstream work and that usually uh, lessens someone's career. But I'm glad to see that uh, he's what, like 70 now, or he's like 60 something. And he's still putting out small projects that fine, it's his friend or whatever, but still doing interesting stuff, even though he's been doing interesting things for so long and his career still has not, you know, bottomed out where he's doing Adam Sandler type of shit. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, well, that, that speaks to that is that you have the Adam Sandler school, of thought, which is I'm going to make really shitty movies with my friends and we're just going to milk this company forever. Uh, and then the Willem yeah. Dafoe thing, which is like, oh, well, we both live in the same general location. We're both very skilled people. Why don't we make something interesting out of this and we'll sell it uh, using our connections in the foreign market. And yeah, it, it's a, definitely an artistic statement. I think it, it's probably uh, maybe not as autobiographical as Tommaso is about Abel Ferreira, but it does feel like he might be revisiting certain aspects of his own life there. And the use of Runaway, Del Shannon's Runaway, uh, I, it feels like an echo to when he was working on Crime Story. And that was like the, the opening song to Crime Story. So there's a connection there with that uh, musical choice. Did not expect Willem Dafoe to be attacked by a bear five minutes in. I thought, all right, this is going to be a quiet yeah. log cabin movie where they're just going to be in a bar and talking for 90 minutes. No, 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 no. It does cut to vignettes of this character's life where he's just kind of reflecting on everything that is laid up to the point that he's currently at. Well, it, it adds a, a layer of, uh, it, it kind of feel like he's like, like he's stuck in limbo. Like mm. he's, he's before he moves to, you know, whatever the next life is uh, because he's in this place. That's very dark. Uh, we, I don't think we get to see the whole place ever, or I can't remember if we do get to see the whole place, but it's a very nondescript. It's like in the middle of nowhere. Like we don't, we don't really know that much about the place. It's just, this is where he is. And, and the way that, that, uh, well, Fer Ferrara, uh, shot it again, like, it's just a very artistic 
expression from someone that's an old man now that I was not expecting. I, I, I like you said, I thought I was going to watch a, a small independent Tommaso like movie. And this was very surprising. And, uh, uh, I, I don't know. I feel like maybe this one is uh, the exception of the rule that if it was uh, the other year, maybe this would have cracked the top 10. Um, but at least with what we've seen so far for 2020 is definitely up there. Yeah. For yeah. Me. Um, so, for me, I would say like any one of my top six would probably maybe make the top 10. Although I would say trip to Greece and spree probably wouldn't. Uh, top four would probably be in my top 10, but maybe not top four. Uh, number number two for me, uh, unless you have anything else to add about Siberia, but I think we did a pretty good mm-hmm. job with that. Number two for me is uh, Werner Herzog's Family Romance LLC, which is a, a Japanese film that was released direct to movie. And movie is a very boring service. Movie sucks. A movie, movie is like a more boring criterion channel where they just take the most pretentious <laughs> old pieces of shit that nobody's heard of, nobody cares about. Uh, and then they try to make it look like having Antoine E. Dinell is, is uh, uh, the highlight of their service. But they got Family Romance LLC, and this is another movie that's shot in an odd way. I think Warner Herzog was just filming the actors with his cell phone for parts of it. Uh, but I think it speaks to uh, a lot of interesting aspects about the Japanese culture, and uh, the nature of artifice and where people decide to rule the lines about what is an acceptable lie, what is an unacceptable lie, and in what context. Uh, it's about a man who works for a service where people will, and I, this this actually exists, where people will rent loved ones to bring to weddings or funerals or just have an oh, occasion yeah. with. And uh, what is th- it, grief something yeah, is yeah. called, I think? Yeah. yeah. So... Uh, it, it, and it, and it's about how one of these people winds up developing like a genuine relationship uh, with one of his clients and how the lines of that start to blur. And he's confronted with the idea of maybe, maybe, maybe I become an actual part of this family, but it, it doesn't wind up going that way. He winds up sticking to his professional business because how, how bizarre would that be? Uh, it is it's a fiction, right? Or is it a documentary? It's fiction presented as a uh, documentary okay. style, right? Uh, so it's constantly just following the characters. The quality of the camera is not very good, but uh, it creates a good atmosphere for this style of movie where you're just kind of eavesdropping on everything that's happening. There's no depth of field or anything at the beginning where they're just meeting in a park. Um, very, very peculiar film. Very, very good film. And I highly recommend it. Uh, good to see that Werner Herzog is still making great films. Still, yeah, he's not uh, falling into his Mandalorian fame now. That you know, everyone's making a big deal about him being yeah. a Mandalorian. It's, it's... That's who he is now. He's the he finally uh, made yeah. it. He made it in the show in showbiz. He made it. He made it in Hollywood. All How right. sad. <laughs> Fucking sad. Um, my number one that uh, it wasn't my number one until we started talking. Wait, hold on, no, 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 wait, 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 wait. No, you, you should be at number two, right? No, my number two, my number two was uh, uh, the one you said, Siberia. How did I forget already? I don't know. We've we've been recording way too long today. That's why we're starting to fucking die out. 
Um, I thought that was my number. Yeah. Number four I, was what? Jacob's Ladder? Already... You had a top four. No. You did one, I and had... then you did Siberia. I, I, del- I, f- I fucking deleted them from being already. Uh, <laughs> whatever. Anyway, my top movie of the year. <laughs> Uh, or the one that that's stuck with me the most uh, that I didn't even think about mentioning until you mentioned documentaries was that Belushi documentary. Okay. Uh, I think one of the, mostly because I, I, I really am interested in all of those torture comedians from back in the day uh, and just how they got to what they were and what it took to get there and how usually didn't last long because they ended up destroying themselves. I love, uh, um, Fuck how oh his name they just slipped my mind. Man Dan Aykroyd. Um, uh, um, I don't know. Andy REM. Andy Kaufman. Andy Warhol. Andy, Andy, Kaufman. Andy Warhol. No, oh, that was Midnight Cowboy. <laughs> I was I was big into Andy Kaufman, not because I thought he was hilarious, even though I he did some funny things, but just because of he was such a weirdo, right? Yeah. He was very peculiar with his things. He was very weird, very particular. Uh, very into like his own brilliance or craziness, whatever you want to call it. This Belushi one is presented in a very similar way where, you know, Joe Belushi to me uh, was just like um, uh, Chris Farley light, you know, just not knowing much about him, where is the fat character, right? The fat guy that's always going to play the fat guy, the fat character, but he's the funniest one of them all. So you always want him there. But you're never going to pick him to be the lead character, even though he's the one that's making everyone laugh, right? Mm-hmm. So they presented this the story about him being, you know, a young kid that uh, would put on shows with his for his family, and when then he got to Second City, and he wasn't the top face of it because he was short and chubby, right? So he was again the funny guy, and then how he ended up being like the main. Uh, character on SNL or like the biggest one and that how he, he, he movie career little by little started, you know, getting better and his troubles with everything. Uh, it's just very throughout. And, um, any movie that makes me like Jim Belushi, uh, it's has to be on like the top. (laughs) Wow. Thief and this. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's, yeah, yeah. Oh fuck. I completely forgot that he was in Thief. Yes. Uh, uh, because he, he just talks about his brother in a very normal way that you don't usually hear because I have a feeling, uh, that every time he talks about anything related to his brother, there's a little bit of like insecurity because he's never going to be, or was as good as him. brother. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like interviewing Chris Farley's brother, right. Who's still, Eric, I think his name is Eric. I don't know. He's a comedian too, and he he has the almost exact same personality as Chris Farley as well. So, and you'll see him cast in like Adam Sandler projects or whatever sometimes as like a security guard. And he plays uh, like a more subdued Chris Farley, but he kind of looks like him, and kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, But yeah, this is very throughout, and it, it it gave me like a new appreciation for this guy that. I used to, you know, think he was funny. I, he was one of the very few early SNL actors that were actually funny because mm-hmm. that show at the beginning was kind of a mess. Uh, and then, you know, Animal House and the, the other movies that 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 uh, where he got his fame or whatever. And then he's, you know, he's he's death. Uh, but it was it was very thrilling, very enjoyable. I think it's from Hulu, if I'm not mistaken. It's called it's just called Belushi. So that that would be the one that stuck with me the most uh, this year. 
Yeah, this, I'm going to have to check this out. I was curious about it, and I was about to download it, and then my computer died right at that exact moment. So maybe I'll make up for a lot. I actually have Hulu. There's no reason for me to download it. Yeah. So I'll, <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll, I'll give that a watch because I'm very interested. I'm not, John Belushi is not a comedian or a SNL performer who has ever really uh, stuck out to me at all, even though he's considered a legend and uh, one of the classics, yeah. especially of that era. Uh, so maybe maybe to give him you know, his due or whatever. Uh, I'll give that a look, but I don't know. I was always, I was more in the Bill Murray camp or Chevy Chase, you know, Dan okay. Aykroyd. The dick. Yeah. Yeah. Just yeah, yeah. asshole. Yeah. yeah. Just... The, 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 the straight asshole. Yeah. yeah. Straight man. Asshole. Well, uh, Chevy yeah, Chase leader. is somebody uh, who, whose work I've, I've gotten more into as of late, who has uh, been totally shunned from society, but. Well, talk about another misunderstood uh artist right he's <laughs> another one that he's another one that he's just kind of mean you well know, plenty of you know, he's misunderstood so... comments on the set of community to donald glover and whoever that other black actress was um yeah i mean, I mean he's just an old guy <laughs> he's yeah. been he's been just think about this so he was in the ropers right the ropers is from like 1970 fucking three or something so he's been Maybe not famous, but at least in the industry for fucking 60 years, 50 years, whatever. Mm -hmm. You know, if there's a, you know, a actor of color that's young and new, you know, maybe. <laughs> no, no, he's not. A, so look, he's not. I have a comment fashion. or two. He was trying to <laughs> be I funny. Have a comment or two. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There we go. So that's just. I don't know. He, we look. We not, did a defense of Shia LaBeouf at the beginning of the show. We don't need to get into Chevy Chase's <laughs> remarks. Anyway, my number one. Chevy Chevy did nothing wrong, and Dan Harmon is as much of a fucking pig as Tig Notaro. I'll agree with that. Uh, there it is. He, I, I think he's it. he's probably worse. I think Dan Harmon's much worse. worse. Uh, even though Tig Notaro's personally, I find her very distasteful in her actions. My number one for the year is another round which was a film I watched somewhat recently uh, directed by Thomas Vinterberg, starring Mads Mikkelsen and a bunch of schlubby actors who uh, are not nearly as good looking as Mads Mikkelsen. You almost don't believe that they're friends because he looks like a real actor and they all look like guys that just, they pulled off the street. Um, it's and it's Danish, about, yes, yes. And uh, okay. it's not in English, no. And it's about a, a group of four friends. It's not Danish, I mean, is it? Yes. Is it in Danish? Yes. Like the, yeah. like the, what is the host? No. What is the... The host is Korean. What is that other movie that... No, 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 no. <sighs> Fuck. My, the my hunt. memory recently... <laughs> it's yeah, fine. The Hunt. God damn it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same, yeah. same director, actor. Same director, duo. right? Yes. Yeah. So uh, the synopsis of this is four high school teachers launch a drinking experiment upholding a constant low level of intoxication which is under the belief that they will perform better because they'll be more confident because they'll have less inhibitions and do the best work that they've ever done. Now, this actually works. This works. They are socially better. They are better workers. Uh, now, it starts to trickle over into their real life as they up the dosage of that because obviously you're going to get a tolerance to a certain level of alcohol. And you're going to drink more and then you're going to have it out of control. Uh, but it does seem to fix... The Mad Mickelson's character's life for a while. It makes him friendlier to his students, a better teacher, a better performer. So he's more engaging. Uh, everybody's, uh, uh, you know, tests come back and they're all passing. And then for the others, you know, 
equal success except one. And uh, it it just carries on like that. And then they have it like a nice night out drinking. It's it's kind of similar to husbands in that way, uh, where they just go off the rails. <laughs> and um, eventually it does hit a brick wall where one of them of succumbs course. to alcoholism. It's, of course. It, yes. It's a Danish movie. Someone gets murdered in some horrendous way and we see all of it. And they feel nothing. Yes. <laughs> That's typical fucking European movie like that, where it's like, hey, we're all having a good time. All of a sudden, you know, a good time can't stop. Fell in his head. And yeah. Yeah. His I neck was... came out of his asshole. And now that's that just happened. Let's move on. I was more concerned about the dog that he left in the boat, which apparently somehow they discovered him the same day he died, even though he went out on the water with the dog. Um, anyway, so one of the friends dies. And uh, I don't know if this was originally planned for the ending. Here's what happened. Thomas Vinterberg's daughter died in a car crash during the production of this movie. And so I, I, I think things had paused. Uh, and when he came back, I might have that wrong. I might, I might have it wrong that production was paused. It might have happened right before they, they started filming. Uh, but the ending of this movie was changed, I think, as a result of that, where instead of ending on a more dreary note, you have that dance sequence at the very end where everybody's drinking and it's a celebration. So he decided to make it more of a celebration of life as opposed to, you know, here's the good, here's the bad. So he was making a movie about people's lives who got improved by drinking and then his kid was killed. In a I, don't, I don't know if it was a drunk accident. driving accident. I think it was just a driving accident. I think someone crashed into okay. it or something, but who knows? Uh, yeah. So, and then it ends with Mads Mikkelsen dancing and drinking, and it's a very well shot movie. It's a well done movie. It's not the type of movie you would see released by a mainstream distributor in America, which automatically gives it points in my book. Uh, but more than that, it's well performed, well shot. I really enjoyed it. Another round. Uh, I I was a little bit worried about that one because I thought it was an American movie. I I didn't know that uh, Thomas Vinterberg or however you pronounce his name was the one because the the hunt is my favorite movie for whatever year that came out on uh, because of how fucking intense it is and just how good so uh, yeah definitely is one that I would check out I had seen it on the couple of um, legal websites that I go to uh, but I was worried because I thought it was like an American movie where they just have him, Matt Mads Mikkelsen, which he's been doing a lot for the past what? Yeah, 10, he's been doing years. real clunkers in America. Uh, he's been doing every Postal, Marvel. Was it? No, he was. Did he? He didn't what? do Postal, did he? The, no, the... no, not Postal. What was that movie? The the uh, it was like an iceberg or something, or that he did with Netflix. God damn it, Mads Mikkelsen. <laughs> You hated it. Uh, I remember you hating it. Polar. 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 Okay. Yeah. No, that was a bad movie. That was from Jonas Ackerlund. Okay. And he did Lords of Chaos later that year and redeemed himself. But yeah, Polar was terrible. Yeah. So that that's what I thought it was. Now that it's more of a character study, I guess, or more of a small story from this director and him. He's one of my favorite actors, but he's been doing a lot of not great stuff. Uh, so I'm, I'm sure I'll... I'll but he's always good. Stuff. I mean, even even when he's doing Star yeah, yeah, Wars yeah. or Marvel, yeah. he's always good. He's one of the great working actors right now for certain. Yeah. Uh, but he's going to make a living, I guess. So 
yeah, that that's another round, and yours was uh, Belushi. So, yeah, that's twenty twenty. That's twenty twenty, and that has been movies. As we're about to hit the five hour mark on Skype, <laughs> it has been a a long recording process here. Although surprisingly, very few interruptions throughout the duration of that. My internet got reliable too after a little while, so that's good. Yeah. Um, any anything you you have to say in terms of optimism towards twenty twenty one? No. I'm not optimistic about anything getting better until they open theaters. I think uh, opportunities for smaller filmmakers, unless they do it all themselves, like we kind of are, or mm-hmm. I guess you are. I'm not really doing much of it anymore. Um, will be the ones that put movies out, but I don't know if anyone will be willing to give anyone money until this movie theater thing is fixed. Uh, streaming, fine, but I think, uh, and this is something I wanted to mention earlier when, when we were talking about Netflix productions, that I, I don't know if it's a different mindset that you have when you're directing a movie for theaters or when you're doing something for streaming. Because for whatever reason, I don't know if it's just me being weird, but whenever I watch a movie that I know it's meant for streaming, um, they all have like a very similar feel to them where it just doesn't feel like a real movie, mm-hmm. you know, like, I, I don't know if it, I don't know if it's the theater setting. I don't know if it's the, maybe the actors they use, I don't know. But whenever I watch a movie that I know is made specifically for a streaming service, it, it feels like the effort is not all the way there. It feels like they're be they're, they're, they're thinking more of a, well, this is just more content for the, for the website. It's not going to blow anyone's mind, but it's decent enough where enough people would like it and maybe we'll do a second one. I'll tell you what uh, I actually that... think it is. I, I think it, this is it. I think it's not even a real thing in the movie because none of these movies really have a thing in common and a lot of them are actually very well made and some of them are, are good movies. I think the reason that we all feel this way uh, about the Netflix films and how they're released and, and that they feel very algorithmic uh, or sterilized to some degree, even if they aren't, I think what we're we're learning from this is that the context surrounding the release matters. So if you have a movie where it's like that's the movie coming out this day, right? And there's a big big event around that. You have a big press campaign. You get some posters. You get some uh, uh, action figures, novelizations. You get all this stuff. It is a it's a it's something bigger than just something you're going to throw on your TV for ninety minutes because you're bored because you need something on while you're cooking dinner. what Netflix does is remove the context and just offer the product as it is. And then they swap out the thumbnail every two weeks or whatever. So there's nothing it, it makes it, it reduces it so that it's not even a piece of art anymore, but just pixels, you know? And yeah. uh, I think that lends itself to forgettability. And uh, I, if this year has been uh, proof of what next year is going to be, um, if things don't change quickly, you know, if this vaccine is not miraculously going to open everything again, which is probably not going to happen, even if it was, you know, 100% effective. No, then we'll get COVID-20. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I'm not very hopeful about 
next year's prospects, to be honest. Um, especially after the year we just had in movies. Not so much about everything else that's happening, but the things that we've... Look, look at this list, like we said. Like, this this couple of lists are pretty bad compared to other years. Uh, not just because of the selection of movies that you have available before, uh, where you would have, you know, theatrical release ones and then other ones that go direct to the streaming. Um, I, I just, I can't see it getting better. Uh, I, I, I'm curious as to what the Oscars are going to be this year. Um, because yeah. there's no, there's, there's not a lot of self-sucking movies, which is usually what they go for. You know, whatever industry self-suck they can, they can get. There's not any movie that fucking blew me away or that you could you could say this is uh oscar bait and it's really good and it worked or this performance is very memorable or whatever i i don't know what they're going to do i i think the only reason why i'm interested in watching the oscars to have not watched in a couple of years but just to see what a train wreck is going to be and like what they do with it but i'm not hopeful that at this point next year when we're probably recording this uh, the 2021 episode if we haven't died yet yeah I, I don't know if the list is going to be much better than this i think we're probably going to be inundated with a lot of series with a lot of tv series or a lot of streaming series but not as many movies just like this year i am uh i'm slightly more optimistic than that because i think when things get really bleak it's because of a time of stagnancy where nothing has really changed and I think because theaters are, are seeming like they're about to permanently go out of business or be like a little novelty where it's only going to where we had talked about this years before, uh, where it's just going to eventually be reduced to like the Disney, whatever, for your main theater and then novelty theater and everything else in between is going to be weeded out. We don't even know if we're going to get the Disney anymore or the novelty. Yeah. So I think by removing theaters from the equation and the original model of how movies would be made and distributed, it's going to lead to a change. It might not be a good change. I am, I am, uh, I'm inclined to believe that it'll lead to more positive things than negative as far as um, the quality of movies. Anyway, because you will see a lot of those blockbusters that are terrible and forgettable and lower enthusiasm get turned into shows and maybe it'll bring out the people maybe maybe i'm not confident maybe it'll bring out the people that really want to make movies and do something interesting with that so i uh i i'm not i'm not totally bummed on the prospects for 2021 i think the problem was with that was that the year before 2020 happened um it's when we started getting this huge conglomerates of marvel disney people that own everything and have all the money and who make the decisions about what they're producing. Uh, if there wasn't such a monopoly on that type of money, then I think I would be a little bit more uh, optimistic about it. But I think that if the power is all in their hands, even if you're very creative, like they're not going to let you touch their properties unless you do exactly what they tell you to do. So it's possible that it will bring out creative people like uh, us i'd like to say right where we're trying to make something out of nothing or just like scraping to try to get this one thing done um and we might be able to see things like that but i don't know if in the large scale of things when you you know have studios that should be backing movies so that they're you know get more money better productions 
uh, I don't know if, if they will be willing to do that without theaters and them owning everything is going to be more difficult, you know? So here, here's a couple of things to look forward to. Cause I, I mean, look, I, I agree with you definitely that corporations have a much stronger stranglehold over the culture and over anything entertainment related than they ever have yeah. previously. Um, especially this year compared to last year. Although, you know, if we're speaking in the grand scale of things, uh, still not that much of a difference. Um, here's what is going to be the equalizer. And maybe this can all change with Amazon changing their standards for publishing movies. But anybody can upload a movie to Amazon Prime right now and set it at any price they want. And if theaters are removed from the equation and we just have Netflix and Amazon Prime as the top two, now obviously people use Hulu and HBO Max, this and that, but those are the main two that everybody uses, right? And especially Amazon Prime where people just have that for delivery purposes. Uh, That is going to potentially level the playing field to independent filmmakers and distributors who are working with a smaller amount of money. And taking into account that if they do move all of their movie projects into the uh, mold of a series, that means the budgets are going to go down. So you're going to have less impressive blockbusters, right? Or less visually impressive because the money's not going to be there as much versus uh, potentially a, a spring of moderate budget movies and smaller budget movies that are all going to be clumped into the same location. Um, and I, I would have to assume that the closing of theaters would result in Netflix optioning more properties. And Netflix can only fall if the shareholders in Netflix get cold feet, which doesn't seem to be happening. And right. I doubt it would happen with theaters out of the picture. So the downside is, yeah, the corporation is going to get much stronger and it does seem to be a monopoly. Uh, but as far as art goes, there's going to be a wider pathway to get projects out there. And also, you know, we're not going to have Trump in the picture, which, you know, on one hand, you're, you're strengthening that faction. On the other hand, you're going to have less people making message films about, we got to get the orange man out. We got to get the bad guy out of office, which is so, which is like 40% of the entertainment that's put out. It's going to be directed somewhere. Yes. It's been only, it's going to, it's going to be only one year, though. I don't know. I think that Titty has still yet to be milked no. for about a year because they have nothing else. I do. You know, they're going to be obsessed. They're going to be obsessed. I'll give you that. Their, their entire career, the past four years. You can't just be like, all right, he's gone now. So never mind. Let me just move on to the next thing. You know, they have to, it's though. going to be just like it was with Bush. You remember Bush when Bush left? There was still like a little bit of, hey, Remember how much of a retard our president was? So I I don't see them moving on so quickly. Uh, I, I I want to believe in your future, not my 2021, mm-hmm. because you will suck just like this one sucked. Yeah. Where you know I I I watched like 20 movies, you know, like just because nothing else was enticing. Uh, so hopefully, uh, but I'm not I'm not very hopeful. I don't know. Uh, let, let's hope that. Uh, there's more opportunities for people like us that are actually trying to do things differently and trying to maybe not so much as to say something with the movie, but at least try something different than what you're getting regularly. Mm -hmm. And if streaming websites go that way, where they give it to 
you know, new content creators, new filmmakers, then that's great. Uh, let's hope that the whole, you know, Alex Kurtzman's of the world stop being the heads of these gigantic productions. Uh, let's give him, him and Akiva their own production company. <laughs> See what that turns out. Uh, it should be heads of Netflix. Yeah, so yeah. they end up murdering that thing. But yeah, let's 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 hope. Let's be hopeful and and uh, hope that 2021 will be better than this fucking shit ass year of of nothingness. Really, mm-hmm. that's I think that's the worst and, hey, of the year. It's just pure nothing for too long. Hey, at least we'll have superhero movies back in 2021. So that's something to look forward You're right. to. We got, we got the comeback of Zack Snyder. I can't wait. I can't wait. Yeah. Hell yeah. All right. Yep. All right. That's been that's been this episode of movies. Uh, I am ready to go take a nap. And by take a nap, I mean go to sleep for the night because we've been going for a long time now. All right. Thank you for listening.